star of American vegetable gardens just happens to be a fruit. And today, on today's show, Steve Bogash, Mr. Tomato, is going to tell us more about growing perfect tomatoes. Hello again and welcome. I'm so glad you could join me. On Saturday, I was part of Summer Garden Experience in Landisville, Pennsylvania. I gave two lectures there, but uh, it was a celebration of the Summer Garden, and they grow tons of different vegetables, and people will ultimately get to try them, but not yet. This was more about growing, because we're in the season of growing tomatoes and growing peppers and growing eggplants in containers, in beds, and it's a trial garden too. So people got to see some of the wonderful new plants that will be available next year from seed and at the garden centers. And surprising to me and and really interesting is that most of the annuals or what we might call annuals, the colorful plants for bedding out and for really enlivening the landscape are being grown from vegetative cuttings, not from seed. The dominant number are being grown from vegetative cuttings. Things have kind of changed. It's not just the same old marigolds. There were tons of coleus, and a lot of coleus in full sun, out in a field, in the wind. I couldn't believe it. But what we're going to talk about today with Steve Bogosh, who is the extension agent, and often called Mr. Tomato, is growing tomatoes, our favorite subject. I'm speaking with Steve Bogosh, and he is the Regional Horticulture Educator for Penn State Extension. And uh, on Saturday, as I was saying, we were together at Summer Garden Experience, and no one called you Steve, Steve. Everyone called you Mr. Tomato. That's a, that's fair. After trialing over 400 varieties, you kind of get a reputation. <laughs> kind of. And I know that you were a landscape contractor before you became an educator. And I'm using the word educator uh, because it does encompass everything, teaching and speaking and public speaking. And, and one thing I noticed when I was observing you talk to people about their tomatoes and about their plants, it's your enthusiasm that is infectious and comes across to every person that you talk to and and everything that you say and it's, it's interesting to me too how you brought the people in you, you know you held up a tomato and say no what's this and it's blossom and rot and everyone says oh yeah it's blossom and rot and you got them they're all with you and they're just hanging on everything that you're saying but how did you get involved in gardening in the first place it's a it's a long story um being 55 the story goes back to when i was seven or eight years old growing up in baltimore we had a silver maple in the front yard of our suburban home. A windstorm comes through the neighborhood, knocked the usual way too many branches out of it. So after a couple hours of playing with various branches as a sword or a spear, as any young boy would do, I stab one of the branches in the ground. And this is the wonderful serendipity of gardening, because if it had been almost anything else, it just would have dried up and died. But being a silver maple, I stabbed it in the ground about a foot and a half off my parents' driveway, and the darn thing grew. Mm. And because it was only a foot and a half off the driveway, and I had no idea of planting spacing at that point, about eight years later, we chainsawed it down. But it was still the fascination of that plant growing has just always captured my imagination. And um, even though... All, my, my father just remembers me as a young teenager avoiding helping him in the vegetable garden because that's just terrible duty for a teenager. 
it really caught on, and I've ever since then I've just absolutely loved everything about plants. You know, it's inter- interesting that you say that because I think that that is really the way to get kids is to either plant a tree with them or have them plant a seed when they're really young. It's that thrill, that miracle, and being able to see something grow, something especially when it's something that you did. You know, you participated in the nurturing of this tree that's a pretty funny story though i think of silver maples as kind of brittle maples but i didn't know you could how big was that branch oh it was a it was a thin thing i mean it i mean i you know thinking back you know almost 50 years now but it probably wasn't more than three quarters of an inch but it was just you know it's it's a silver maple and again you know almost anything else wouldn't have taken but it was uh because of the kind of tree that it is and obviously i caught it at the right point and, right you know, it was just one of those things. And, you know, you talk about educating kids, and we do a lot of that um, with uh, through extension. And I like to stack the deck when I'm teaching kids classes. So I always, when, when I'm going in, I always will bring sunflower seeds because I want them to be successful mm-hmm. right out of the gate. Or I will bring some kind of a square stem plant, whether it be a, a colia or a mint of some kind, because then I absolutely know that they're going to be successful in rooting the cutting. You know, I'm not a, the idea here is not to challenge them early on, but to demonstrate that they can be successful right out. And you know, when you're working with square stem plants, anything in that family, you can almost feel the root primordia <laughs> as you're getting that cutting near potting media. Yeah. You can almost fear feel them popping. Well, that the, that's great, and I I'm going to remember that. <laughs> I, I may not try silver maples with next time I meet a kid, but I think uh, I have. Of course, everyone knows with with square stems or things like coleus and even begonias too, if it's the right time and the short enough cut, the right size cutting, and it's pretty thrilling. Sunflower seeds, of course, beans. You know, if you're not necessarily even going to grow it, if you just want to see that experience, it's just days. And kids do have a relatively short. Ex- attention span but also uh, nothing succeeds like success i i fully agree with you the most fun thing anybody can do if you've got some volunteers in your audience is to do it in an elementary school classroom because not only do you get to uh, totally enthrall the kids as you're playing with plants but you get to completely trash out the room with potting media <laughs> you get to watch the, the look of horror on the school teacher's face because you know that you're leaving and they will be looking at potting media scattered around the room for at least a month until it's all cleaned up <laughs> the good things to remember so tomato talk uh, everyone at summer garden experience I guess it really America's favorite thing to grow. I almost said vegetable, but I, America's favorite thing to grow because I consider tomato a fruit uh, are tomatoes. And you've trialed, as you said, 400. And of course, I want to hear some of the ones that you think are the best. And I also want to hear your what you recommend for getting the best tomato out of whatever tomato plant you grow. But over the years, those 400 varieties, what are some of the ones that have really produced for you? And I know we have to talk about heirlooms too, because everyone's like super heirloom crazy. But uh, t- tell me about some of them. Well, the um, 
there are so the problem is there are so many varieties and there are so many taste buds and for me it is all about it's all about the flavor now my primary audience although I teach an awful lot of master gardeners and home gardeners the audience that Penn State pays me to teach are commercial growers mm. and um, we have this huge um, uh, throng right now looking for locally grown and when I think locally grown I understand that people you know they have they have there's a lot of different reasons folks come to locally grown but I think there's an expectation, especially for something like a tomato or a cantaloupe muskmelon, that when you when you grab a hold of one and you taste it, it's going to rock your world. There's going to be some meaning in that flavor versus something they would find at a supermarket that travels better than you or I do. And so, you know, there's there's something there. And so for me, it's a combination of yield and flavor and eat and, and, and the ease of production. So all of this comes down to, you know, what do we have left after you get rid of tomatoes that don't do so well? And then there's the, uh, the proviso. It's where you're located. Tomatoes are very situational. You know, an heirloom that does well in my territory may not do well where you are. You, you and I had talked about your soil conditions. We have a we have a clay loam soil. You have a largely sandy soil. So for each person, there's going to be a site-specific tomato or a bunch of tomatoes that do well with them. And so you know, trialing more tomatoes on your home patch, but. Going back to that, the number one tomato in our trial for the last five, maybe six years has been Brandy Boy from Burpee. And and for those of your of your of your listeners that are that are translating that into brandy wine, that, that would be incorrect. This is a this is a hybrid that Burpee came out with called Brandy Boy that has all of the best attributes, the flavor, the look, the density of a brandy wine, but it grows like a hybrid. Lots of fruit, good hybrid vigor, disease resistance, which you don't have in brandy wine. So it has been our number one. A couple years there were it came in third, but it you know, it, it's in that top three and when you're running tastings of thirty plus tomatoes, to come in, in the top three consistently is pretty hot. Yeah, incredible. Uh, and and some others, or maybe oh. a cherry, or what, or if we think of a traditional, what most people call beefsteak, uh, a really big tomato that's perfect in the sandwich. Um, what are some that you can recommend? Cherries well, and, and big ones. Well, of course, you know, brandy boy, you can slice onto a sandwich, and I think it's a good sandwich tomato. But um, big beef is one that has surprised me. It's been around for a long time. And a lot of my growers have kind of taken back up with that. It it seems to survive over a wide range of conditions, yields a real nice high-density tomato. You know, you don't want it to be too goopy when you slice through it. Really nice flavor. The one that surprised me most, Ken, has been Bush Early Girl. We started a trawl program in 2008 doing um, tomatoes, eggplants, peppers, and cucumbers and squash in containers for those folks who have apartments or only have a patio and you know or didn't want to get in the ground. And um, so we've trawled an awful lot of tomatoes, but consistently, Bush Early Girl has produced really heavy sets of great tasting tomatoes, and um, not. Not the last two years, but in 2009, we had a bunch of master gardeners come in every Thursday at lunch. There were 12 to 15 of them, and they would come in at lunchtime, and we would do true blind tastings with them with uh, saltines and mild cheeses between each course of tomatoes. 
and Bush Early Girl won two weeks in a row hmm. against some pretty strong heirloom tomatoes, which, you know, most folks, when they think heirloom, they're thinking flavor. And that's where you can't fault the heirlooms. Generally, they do have better flavor. So Bush Early Girl and Early Girl are two that I recommend strongly. They've got wonderful flavor. They yield really well. They are slightly early, but don't I don't want anybody to start thinking that they're going to be so early that, you know, they're they're going to be eating tomatoes in June unless they get go Herculean. It's it's 10 days before the main season is early for a mm-hmm. tomato. And when we talk about uh, taste, I imagine you're talking about a combination of the right combination of acid and sugar, you know, sweetness and acidity, which is what I guess we all want is that perfect balance. It's well, you you are, you are right. And you know, it's, it's one of those things when you're tasting tomatoes, you, you know it when it's right. We've tried to build up in our tasters because we do have some very experienced foodies in our, in our group. We've tried to build up some language you can use that would be like tasting wine, you know, buttery, currant, cassis, and all that nonsense. (laughs) We haven't been able to do it with tomatoes. It is so hard to get people to go, this one tastes tomato-y, or stop (laughs) saying, this one tastes tomato-y. And I think everybody knows what we mean by that. But defining that has been just awful. I mean, getting it to the point that I have people who will do more than this one tastes really great. It's what I want in a tomato. But it's a combination of texture, um, the flavor, certainly the sugar-acid balance. And, and we we've take our results. We always put some yellow, yellow-orange slicers into our trial. And it's interesting because there are folks who come and they want a sweeter, milder tomato, and they prefer that. So our trial, when you look at the results, it's a double bell curve. There are those who really want red tomatoes that just have got that rockin' hard tomato flavor, and then there are those who want something milder and sweeter. And and you can the numbers fall almost equally on both ends. I'm speaking with Steve Bogash, who is the regional horticulture educator for Penn State Extension in Franklin County, and we'll be right back. Thank you for staying with us. My name is Ken Drews. You're listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. And my guest today is Steve Bogosh, who is a regional horticulture educator for Penn State Extension and works mostly with growers, but also with home gardeners. And uh, we did an event together, Summer Garden Experience, on July 30th. And it was very successful. But uh, if I asked anyone where Steve was, they would say, you mean Mr. Tomato? And Steve was just talking about tomato flavor. And Steve, I have to tell you, I'm one of the yellow tomato lovers. And there are some great yellow tomatoes out there. And there's one particular i we had in the in the first segment we had talked about um some some of the red tomatoes um and and kind of where i fall in the heirloom thing one of the yellow orange stripey tomatoes that has um always come into my trial and i consistently will plant it at home is pineapple Hmm. it's an heirloom type and we've looked at copia and striped german and many others that are in that class but every time we've done the trials in that tomato, pineapple has one. And it's an awful tomato to grow. You don't get a lot of fruit. 
They oftentimes get marred very easily. But in that particular class of tomato in our area here in the Mid-Atlantic, pineapple has been our number one. And it's, it's one that I love, and I love it because I like making tomato juice out of it. It makes the most wonderful tomato juice and in the middle of the winter time, there's hardly anything better than popping open a mason jar of your homemade tomato juice, a little vodka. It, <laughs> it, it feels like summertime all over again. Uh, can you recommend uh, like a yellow pear variety or, or, or a small yellow cherry? Well, you you ask a good question. So far, the yellow pears, we haven't really found any that have worked well for us. A lot of yield, but not a lot of flavor. Um, sun gold for a yellow, yellow, orange cherry, it, it rocks everybody's world. The flavor is wonderful. The biggest problem with Sun Gold, and anybody who's grown it knows this, is it splits like mad. Mm. They split on the vine. They split in the bucket. Even if you're careful, um, they split. And But uh, some of my commercial growers who do farmer's markets will grow it, and they'll pack it into pints or half pints. And what they always tell me is that they 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 understand all that, and even even with all of that terrible splitting, they're still going to keep growing sun gold because of the demand for it. it it's really in a class by itself. Wonderful, amazing. I, but I want to I want to I want to interrupt you though, and I apologize for that. But we have we put a grape one in our trowel last year that we got from Johnny Seed that's called Solid Gold, and it is a big meaty grape tomato, very, very heavy yield that doesn't split. And so I've been recommending that one highly. This is our second year for that one in the program, and I like it a lot. It's funny that you should mention that because I like it a lot too. <laughs> solid gold. Yeah, solid gold. Oh, yeah, it, it's a wonderful tomato. It's not a sun gold. I mean, it's 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 not, but that you can pick it and hold it for a couple of days and you don't have, you know, the bucket full of split goopy tomatoes right. at the bottom. And uh, for eating out of hand, which I do with tomatoes, I Solid gold is like candy. It's just great yes, and easy to eat. So if you took us through a season of planting and feeding tomatoes, uh, either in the ground or maybe even more important, if you're doing it in a soilless medium in a container, I know you're into food. <laughs> and I mean plant food. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about or what you would recommend to a home gardener as far as the care and feeding of tomatoes. Well, number one, and it's the single most important part for tomatoes in, in your in your home garden, it's, it's easier in a container because the pH is lower to start off with. But in your home garden, you want a pH for tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, and potatoes. They're all solanaceous plants of 6.2 to 6.5. Hmm. Oftentimes what will happen is folks will send off their sample to their local university, which is a great place to start, but on their description they will just put down general vegetables because they're also growing beans and corn and cucurbits of various kinds. And so what they always try and have you balance your garden to is a pH of 7, right. and they'll come back with a lime recommendation. And unless your pH is below 5.5, liming your garden is about as bad as it gets for growing a tomato. It likes it on the acid side, and the reason goes back to basic plant and soil chemistry is it's easier for tomatoes, and when I say tomatoes, fill in the other plants like peppers and eggplant, it's easier for them to get the potassium that they need at slightly lower than neutral pHs. And that alone will make people just do so much better. Wow. Well, that that's an important tip for me with neutral seven soil. And 
And then when you're, but when you're doing it like in a container and container gardening, you know, when you're doing any of the crops mentioned in containers, it's so easy to be successful. And I've got a whole series of fact sheets that we that we're willing to share with people. But if if they if they want to grow in a container, it's easy because usually container soils are already slightly lower pH. Generally, they're going to come in somewhere around six or six point two, which works really well for folks who are growing tomatoes and peppers. What they'll have, the problem they'll have is all municipal waters have a higher pH. They're usually balanced between 7.5 and 7.8. So over the course of the season, they'll find that their pH goes up. So use an acid-based fertilizer, and they'll be very happy. So fertilizer, uh, uh, <laughs> I know you, well, I overheard you say that in the early days before you start getting the flowering you want to promote vegetative growth and maybe choose something that's balanced slightly towards nitrogen and then you switch well tomatoes tomatoes and all fruiting plants are they really go through a number of different life cycles and uh, so you've got your seed to seedling seedling to transplant transplant to bulking up so you've got something you can hang all this fruit on top of and make sugars and then that critical stage at flowering where we go from flowering through harvest and the plant has different needs just like a person does early on very very light feeding uh, once you once the cotyledons start to fade and you've got real leaves you would do a light balanced feed almost anything with a one 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 ratio and it can be one two one but but something close to a balanced fertilizer and but very light feedings until you get that big transplant that you want then at six or eight weeks we move them out and put them out either into a container or out in our gardens um, and that's where most folks get hold of their plants is at that six to eight week stage if they're buying them from a nursery you maintain that one 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 um, ratio, but you up your feeding, and that's one of the things that we have found with home gardeners is they're so shy about feeding their mm. plants they keep thinking that they're going to burn their plants. Right, right. It's really hard to do that. I mean, I'm I'm guessing it can be done, but most folks err on the other side and they tend to starve their poor plants. And so, but the the one 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 ratio, Miracle Grow, um, Peters, Schultz's, all of them have got wonderful balanced fertilizers. They're going to be triple twenty or twenty thirty twenty. Hopefully, there's some micronutrients there for the organic folks that are going to be listening to this. You can buy um, wonderful organic blends that do the same thing. They're going to be fish and kelp meal and some sulfate of potash all mixed in. Um, so they work real just as well. You're going to be using a lot more because they're very dilute. Usually they'll be like 424 or 434. But we have found in our trial program, we, we often run an organic program side by side. You can accomplish everything with an organic program that you do with a commercial soluble program or a, uh, a more chemical program. But we get to that critical point that folks miss, and that's at flowering. And your plants demands of flowering are entirely different and it's primarily the curve for potassium and to a slightly lesser extent calcium and magnesium and the plants demand for potassium just goes right through the ceiling 
And so my favorite fertilizer that I've been using is either a 9-15-30, so low nitrogen, very high potassium. You need a little nitrogen because you are trying to maintain growth. Uh, a 5-10-27 will work as well. Again, both of them, what everybody should be hearing is high quantities of potassium. And that is going to give you a better fruit set, and your flowers will keep coming. What so many people find is that they get this fabulous harvest. And somewhere end of August, beginning of September, they're abandoning their tomato plants because they're not making any more fruit. Right. They did that to themselves. They didn't feed their plants. Well, I'm hearing what you're saying, and, and food is the big story, and food will be the story when we harvest our tomatoes, too, and I can't believe that we've come to the end of our interview, but I want to thank you again, Steve Bogosh, and uh, you're the Regional Horticulture Educator for Penn State Extension in Franklin County, and you did mention that uh, people can maybe find some or download some advice and stuff. Uh, would that be, well, what's the address, uh, the web address, if people want to get more information? Oh, I was. I knew you were going to ask me that, and I'm sorry. I don't have that web address off at my fingertips. Well, we will put it on the Kendrews Real Dirt website. Good way to handle it. And uh, you'll have to email me that, and I'm going to try to find some pictures of some of the tomatoes that you talked about. And I want to thank you so much for Saturday and also for being my guest today on Kendrews Real Dirt. Thanks, Ken. Okay, bye for now. In Steve's talks with home gardeners, he stressed over and over again the importance of fertilizer of plant food and tomatoes are gross feeders they eat a lot but uh, he also explained why it was a good idea to have certain fertilizers before the flowers develop and other fertilizers after the flowers develop and also the trace elements the calcium magnesium things that will help you avoid blossom end rot if you've had that problem where the bottom of the tomato is kind of papery or cardboardy and gray and black well that's uh, calcium they're using a lot of sprays for that join me next week for another edition of kendrew's real dirt the garden show